last service of the year 2018. We're going to go into Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 is the scripture for today. Somebody say, a God is doing a new thing. Now let's all say it. God is doing a new thing. Amen. When God is doing something, it's always new. Even if he's bringing something to, to, to pass that he promised in the past, it's always new. God can never repeat himself the same way because God is new in all that he does. When he makes another person, another, another person is new. He doesn't make another you just like you. That mold is done, he makes another you. Every second that God allows the pass through, the days is a brand new second. The molecules are not arranged the same way the second that just passed. Every single thing God does is new. Now watch this, but he never changes. Oh, get some of that right now. Everything God does from himself, creating and sustaining, is always new. He could keep it the same if he wanted to, but it's always new. Could you just turn me down and Vinny help help him out a little bit? I know I'm coming in a little hot. Thank you. Everything God does that is for us is a new thing and a good thing. When we look at the earth and the world and the bad things, that's because we are bad and we chose sin. When we as a human culture did that, we brought the curse upon the earth. I always want to remind you of that because that doesn't mean that God is bad, that there's a curse upon the earth. The God's curse shows God's judgment. Go with me to Psalm chapter 72. I'm going to show it to you real quick. Before I, Can I preach before I preach? Amen. So before I preach the sermon, I'm going to preach another sermon. Amen. Just wanted to show you this. God gave this to me this morning because when we look at God doing a new thing, we got to understand that he's got to judge some bad things. And when you look at the world around us, some of the bad things that you're seeing right now are because people have not been living for Jesus. People have not been doing the right thing. They've been doing the wrong thing. Somebody say the wrong thing. Amen. Now, you ever get a scripture in your heart and then you can't remember where it's at and then you shout out a number but it's not there? I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that's just happened to me. So now I'm going page by page. Um, oh, here it is. Psalm 76, rather. Psalm 76. There was a six in there somewhere, I guess. Look at Psalm 76, verse 10. God's doing a new thing, but he's got to judge some old things. And what he wants you to do is get over those old things and get into his new thing. Look at what it says in verse 10. Surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise. You're all tired today, huh? I guess you're going to be going to bed early, New Year's Eve. You're not going to be partying, right? Because you're going to be like this, New Year's Eve. Is this what what you're going to be like? It says, surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise. praise. Thank you. Do you know that God's wrath against mankind brings him praise? The fallen curse or the earth being cursed because of the fall brings God praise because it shows us don't mess with God. Don't mess with him. And then the best part comes right there. And the survivors of your wrath are restrained. How many are going to survive God's wrath? Then that means you're going to know better. You're not going to do what Adam and Eve did. When you get another chance in the new heaven and earth and the garden of Eden is restored, no more Adam and Eves. Amen? Just like right now, you could never go back to believing four plus four is five. You could never go back to that. You've already been taught correctly. You know how it is. No matter how much somebody tried to lie to you, you wouldn't believe it. And no matter, listen, how much they tried to pay you to deny it on a lie detector test, you know, unless you're some FBI agent knows how to get around it, you still could.
couldn't get around it because you would know in your mind. You would know, even though I'm saying five because I, I got to say five, I know it's four. I know it's four. I've seen two things get added to another two things. They're four. See, here's the deal. God is showing us through the wrath upon the earth right now what it looks like when people do wrong. And you're getting it sealed into your conscience. So by the time the wrath is over, you're in the new heavens and new earth. God doesn't have to take away your free will. You'll look at sin like now, look, eating a dog's uh, vomit or eating what comes out the backside of a dog. You have free will to eat a dog's doo-doo, but you choose not to because you know how nasty it is. You still have free will in heaven to sin, but no one ever will because you will know what it did upon this earth. Somebody say an old thing. See, an old thing is passing away, and that's God's wrath and judgment. A new thing is coming, and that's God's blessings and God's power and God's presence. Well, guess what? Out with the old, in comes the new. You're a part of that transitional period right now. Just as Jesus was a part of two timelines, he was a part of the Old Testament and then initiating the New Testament. So Jesus is between Malachi and Matthew in the work of redemption. You're in between the timeline of the kingdom coming and the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being poured out in final judgment and one day forever in Revelation and it will be done and it will never come back and then the new heavens and new earth. So you're in that transitional period of the wrath and the kingdom coming. And our heart is supposed to be, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this year going forward, as we get back to Isaiah, please, Isaiah 43, as we look to the prophets, as we're in this series now, as we look to this passage, we're not supposed to see a new thing like a new car. Oh, I just want a new car this year. That's great. You want material items. God cares about those things, but that's not necessarily the new thing. The new thing, capital N, new thing, brings New things, smaller in new things. Like the big new thing is God's presence in your life, and God's presence brings a lot of little things. Like your job being blessed, like you having a better marriage this year, who, you know, those of you who want to work on it, getting better grades in school. All of those little new things flow from the big new thing that God is doing. And what God is doing, that big new thing is called his kingdom, and his kingdom is coming. Look with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah was going to be our passage for the Christmas service, but I felt to go to Mary's song. So those of you who heard me mention Isaiah, that was for that purpose, and uh, the Lord changed it up on me. Thanks for going with the flow. I hope you had a good service and a good holiday as well. And now I want to get back into Isaiah, and if I go into the, the prophets even more in the new year, I'll probably go back to a lot of the passages in Isaiah. He's a major prophet, has a lot of awesome things to say. And if we get some time, we'll look at a lot of his uh, words today about prophecies, because I did that in the first service. If we get some extra time, always looking to bring in some nuggies in there. But let me say this. Come next week at the first service of the year, we're going to give out your giving reports. You'll get to see how you gave to the church and all that, where the finances went. We go through all of the records, all the, the highlights for the past year. And then I preach a, a sermon on the vision of our church, uniting around loving God, loving people, connect, mentor, send. It's a great time to be here to celebrate. And if you're new or just joined with us this year, you'll be just amazed to see all God did. And those of you, uh, us who have been around for a while, you look forward to these years because you get to see, wow, I gave all of that. I mean, all those, those checks, they, they added up and all that chase quick pay. Wow. I mean, that's a lot. You can really be amazed at what God did. And then you can see the numbers and be like, wow, we did all of that from Bodiqua Fest to the Christmas party with the children 
to the outdoor Halloween festival, it's an amazing time to celebrate. It, we don't do really anniversaries here, but that's the closest thing to it, okay? How many are going to come back next week? Amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 43, let's go. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Does that get you up this morning? Amen. Isaiah jumps right in with a word from the Lord, something that God gave him. And he says, God wants me to tell you, I have formed you, I have made you, and I am with you in every situation in life. But what kind of situations does Isaiah name here? Does it say, I'm with you when you're walking on the sandy seashore by the beach? No. When you're in the middle of the river feeling like you're going to get swept away. Have you ever stood in a river before? Uh, we have a river by our house, Fox River. I stand in it all the time, and I bring my children there, and we have to tell them, be very careful, you know, life jackets on. And then, of course, when I'm not looking, they take off their life jacket and dive right in, and then they get scared because they get swept down the, the river, Hannah, and then I have to go chasing after them, <laughs> Hannah. Um, yeah, rivers can be dangerous. I used to live by the Mississippi River. They had big rivers by them in those days, especially if there's a river that's going towards an ocean like the Mississippi is. Those rivers are rushing. Those rivers are flowing powerfully. And he is saying, I'm with you there. What's the next place he talks about? He says, I'm with you in the waters. How many of you are afraid of water, like deep water, ocean water? Anybody here? Raise your hand. Are y'all ain't scared? Okay, cool. We got a lot of brave. Okay, some of you. You know what I'm talking about if you're afraid of water. You don't like being in it. My wife's like one of those, those people. She can be at a lake. That's fine, you know, but not too far out into it. But once we get out into the ocean, man, she just sees, you know, that deep-looking water. It looks all dark as you look below. You can't see the bottom. You wonder what's in there. Jesus is saying, I'm with you there. And then what's the next place he says? When you go through the fire, I'm with you there. So let's just stop right now. Come on, let's just stop right now. I mentioned it in my prayer, and let's make a determination. We're not going to be superstitious this year, and we're not going to tie our Christianity to some type of, of fantasy of what we think life should be. In other words, if stuff goes wrong this year, you're not giving up on God because you thought you deserved better. That's not the promise of Isaiah. The promise of Isaiah started in chapter 43 isn't, hey guys, you are Christians now. You're following me. It's going to be awesome. You're never going to have any problems. I'll be with you at the parties. I'll be with you by the beach. I'll be with you in all these fun places. No, I'll be with you when you feel like you're drowning. I'll be with you when everything is pushing against you. I'll be with you when everything around you is fire and destruction and burning. You won't get hurt. So let's not catastrophize this year. People who like to catastrophize take all of their little catastrophes and then add them up. You know, this year my aunt died, and then I lost my job, and then you know what? My car got a flat, and then my best friend, she did this. How many have heard people catastrophize before? They take all the little problems out of their day or out of their year, and they just take every single one. They, they neglect your breathing. That's a good thing. No, they neglect that. I've got asthma. They neglect they've got 10 friends. This friend hurt me, and they just pick out, literally they pick out 
about those things. And then they pile them all up, and then they say, now, woe is me. Look at me. Life is miserable. Let me tell you on Facebook. Is that what the Bible says to do? Not at all. So let's get over it. Come on. Let's get over it. People who got cancer last year didn't deserve it, but they got it. In our first service, Sister Iris went through it once, chemo and all of that, then she had to go through it again. She's not a bad person. It wasn't bad luck. It's a part of the curse upon the earth, and she had to trust God through it. Now, let me ask you a question. Did she come into 2017 going, oh, I think I'll get cancer this year. Sounds like something fun. Oh, I'll put that in my calendar. Let's do it. February 2nd, I'll, I'll go get chemo. No. But when she went through the fire, she did not get burned. Can I promise you today that I won't have to walk with you through cancer this year? Can I promise you today that I won't be standing next to a casket with somebody you love doing a funeral? Can I promise you this year that our economy won't go into a recession and that you won't have to sell your house or go bankrupt or lose your... Can I promise you any of those things? I look at some of you here who have been with me for a long time. Can I promise you that we won't face disaster like my friends did in New Orleans? You think they were ready for Katrina when Katrina came? Do you think they thought to themselves three days before Katrina, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose all my valuable items. I'm going to lose my car. And I'm going to lose my job all in one day. No. We could have another 9-11 hit Chicago. Come on. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to prepare you. Come on. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. That's how our God talks. Look at it again. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That's how he promises us. You are mine. I know you by name. I know every single one of the hairs on your head. So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, does that make sense? You get it there? When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I wonder how many times last year we thought it was it. I mean, just pick an area of your life. I wonder how many of you were already waving the white flag going, come take me home, Jesus. But yet we're still here. I'm not saying some of you didn't have the thing actually go bad or, you know, you just you faced the worst fears. I'm not saying that everybody made it. Some of us did have to bury people. Some of us did have to lose our job. But I'm using this as an example. How many of you, even if you went through the hardest times, emotionally thought, I don't see how I can even get to the next day, the next week. I don't even see a future, right? It's so dark. I remember going through situations, and Brother Ricky knows about it, when we went through a, a tough time here in the church, when we were trying to go to a new location, we took on more than we could handle. I, it's just all a blur to me. It's like two or three years. I, I don't even know wh where the years are at. All I know is that every day I was carrying the weight of that rent. The recession was going bad. I'm like thinking, what are we going to do? It's so embarrassing as a church to go to the landlord saying, I can't pay this. Thankfully, we never owed him a dollar. We paid everything. But, you know, it's embarrassing when you go, uh, can we lower this? Can we do it like this? How many have been through those embarrassing times before? Come on. But I know God was with me. And so when I made it through that, I can stand back now and look at that and go, man, that was pretty amazing how God did it. 
He brought it from us from that location to this location. Didn't really lose anybody. The people stayed with us. Those who were losing their jobs eventually got new jobs. Those, some of them who foreclosed on their homes in 2009 and 10, got new homes, and they're doing amazing right now. And, and you see, now I've built up some rapport, some testimonies with my God where I know him better now in the storm. You see, when you face a storm and you don't know your God, that's a tough time to try to learn who he is and get through the storm because you're doing two things at once. You're trying to figure out who is God, what's his word about, why is the world the way it is, and at the same time, God, I hope I don't go under. God, I hope I can make it through all of this. See, what God wants us to do is always be prepared. Not be scared, but be prepared. So if God forbid the worst thing were to happen to you, the worst thing like fire, a flood, or in deep water you're sinking, you don't at that time, let's take Sister Iris again. At that time, she did not have to start building her relationship with God. Like, well, I might as well start praying now, reading my Bible again. Oh, get off the dust. Where's that scripture at again? No, she could go, all right, God, let's go through it because you've already been with me. How many want to go through the things this year with God? Not trying to catch up to God, not saying now the thing has happened, now I'm running back to where I left him, but going through it with him, going through the situation with God. Because it's hard enough as it is to go through fire, let alone to try to learn to trust your God at that time. And so take it from everybody here that's been through the fire. There's some fire walkers in this church. That's why we want you to go to life groups. We don't want you just to go to life groups so we can get you to do another thing. It's not like we take up another offering there or something, okay? We want you to go to life groups so you can do life together with other people. I mean, I see these testimonies every single week of what they're doing. The Spanish life group is just exploding and what God is doing in the Friday Bible studies. Do you guys get encouraged there? And and do you feel like you're being empowered there? Why? Because you're sharing life together. See, one day you might not be going through the fire and and you'll show up to life group and somebody will come in there with their skin sizzling, their hair sticking up the, the fire on top of them and you'll have to put them out and be like, hey, God's with you, man. I know it feels crazy. I know I know what you're going through. It, you know, well, we want to be careful how to say, say, I know what you're going through. We'll say, I know what it's like to go through the fire. In other words, I've been there too, but guess what? God is with you. And then, and, then, and then what happens? After you encourage them, you love them, a couple weeks later, you come in, you're sizzling, and you go to that same person. You're like, oh, my goodness, I need you to encourage me now. Because that's what church is like. That's what the body of Christ is like. That's what family's like. And God says, I'm going to prepare you for that. Let's keep going. Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. Somebody say, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen. God loves us. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do you see how much God loves us? But do you see how much he's going to punish the nations? Can I just give a little example of this? Can I just do this? Can I ask that uh, Salvador would come? And let's have Amy come. Let's have uh, them both come. Let's give a hand clap as they come up here. Come on, go help pastor. Help me preach. Let me just say this at the beginning. Both of them love Jesus and are going to heaven. But now one will not be, okay? So literally, imagine what this scripture says. It says, since you are precious to me and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for you. So imagine, 
Me saying, like God, imagine this, imagine this. Me saying, Salvador, I'll take you to my house today. I'm going to give you the best day you've ever had. And you know what? We're going to send you to jail. (laughs) Just hold on. Just pause for a second. Just think about that. We would say that's unfair, wouldn't it? Because she wouldn't deserve that, right? But now hold on. On judgment day, using her as the example, on judgment day, does the world deserve to go to hell? They do. They do deserve to go to hell. And he's going to literally say to the whole world, I'm going to trade you now for my people. Everybody doesn't get in, guys. Everybody doesn't get a trophy in this. God's favor is fair, but it's not the way you think fair is. God doesn't choose us based on what we've done for others or good works. God is going to choose Salvador, using this as an example, God is going to choose Salvador over Amy, not because Salvador was a better dad, not because Salvador went to school more or did more things around the community. It's because he chose Jesus and she didn't. And God's going to say, I'm going to exchange them. And then when the exchange happens, and I don't know if you have your purse. You have your purse here? Can you grab it real quick? I'm going to show you how this was going to work. So then he's going to say, I'll take this from you, and I'm going to give this to you. And instead of you having to give her anything good, I'll take care of the exchange. I'm going to give her my wrath now. I want that to set in real quick because some of y'all think, I know because I talk to some people here, sometimes you guys think pastors overemphasizing judgment and how God really feels. I don't know how else to say this. Since you're precious and honored in my sight because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. How else am I supposed to understand that? It's not, no, no, you won't give it back yet until we're done, until we're done. It's going to ruin the example because it's like, how does she get it back? You know what I'm saying? Now, maybe she gets saved. But here's the idea. She's representing those who are not saved. Now, let's do this in a bigger example. You could just stand here, please, so they can see you. Watch this. Let's do this in a bigger example. This is China. This is all of China's wealth. This is all of China's land. This is now God's governor of China in the new heavens and new earth. Give him that nation. It's yours now in Jesus' name. Take care of it. That's literally what the Bible says when it says, ask of me and I will give you nations, Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Revelation says you will be kings and priests ruling over the land. The nations will give Israel all of their nations and their authority because God on judgment day is going to you know, break them down pretty good. And then they, the people, us, the people of God, are going to rule and reign with Christ. If you're excited about that, say amen. Thank you, my brother and sister. So let me ask you this. You want to get traded on judgment day? Hey, you want to get traded? It's up to you. I mean, come on. I know I got a lot of sports fans here. You want to get traded? Because you're going to get drafted right to hell. (laughs) There you go. Who do we get in exchange? The angels are going to ask. Who do we get in exchange for for Oprah? And and God forbid it, you know, because we want her to repent, but you get my point. Who do we get in exchange for Oprah? Oh, we get Lydia. Who do we get in exchange for A-Rod if he doesn't know Jesus? We get his lookalike, Ricky. Who do we get in exchange for Selena? We get um, Jackie Pacheco, you know, if if Selena didn't know Jesus. I don't mean to put anybody in heaven or hell, but you know my point. The trade, it happens. The exchange, it's going to happen. People and nations are going to exchange. They're not keeping the land. All this gold you see on 69, that's going to be on my street. That's going to be on my driveway. All the gold you see the rappers have, that's going to be on your driveway. 
Come on, somebody. Let me talk. Yeah, I get some amens over here. All the gold you see these rappers have, all the spinning, all that, that's going to be the decorations on your sidewalk leading up to your mansion. That's what God's going to do. There's going to be an exchange. All the stories you've ever seen from Frozen to, to Beauty and the Beast fail in comparison to the kingdom of God coming. The kingdom of God coming is not just make-believe. It is more real than the most beautiful flower you see today. It is more real than the most beautiful sunset, than the diamonds and gems that you appreciate. It is more real than the very things you're touching now. God's kingdom is coming. You want to stay with God. You want to be in God's presence. You want to enjoy your family forever. You want to enjoy the things of this earth that God made for our pleasure and our enjoyment, all the food, all the fellowship, all the joy of being here. Live for Jesus. Amen. How many are going to live for Jesus in 2019? Come on. Let's go here to verse 6. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So God is saying, I'm going to bring back all my people to this place. Why is he saying this? Let me give you a little history about Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet during the turmoil of the nation being judged, Israel being judged by the Assyrians, and then he's preparing them for a worse judgment to come by the Babylonians. By the time the Babylonians are done, there'll be no more temple. People will be slaves in those nations, and the starvation will be so bad of how they treat them that the Bible says some of the mothers will eat their own children. That's the world they're living in. That's what he's preparing them for. This is about 100 to 150 years before the worst of it happens. This is about 700 years before Jesus, to give a timeline. This is about 100 and 150 years before it happens, and God is already preparing them by saying, if you go through it, know I'm going to be with you. I have formed you, but you have to understand this. I will bring you back. Do you have enough faith to trust God for your year ahead that they were told to have faith in God for hundreds of years? Let me put it in perspective. Imagine today if I was a prophet like Isaiah and I said, hey guys, I got good news and bad news. Here's the bad news. China's going to take us over. Our children are going to go into slavery. Some of you are going to go crazy and eat your children, but in a hundred years, everything's going to work out okay. Uh, can I choose another God now? Uh, can I have a different prophet? That's literally what they were doing in the Bible. They would switch the prophets. When the prophet of God would come and he would say this is what was happening, like Jeremiah, who we've also studied here, they took Jeremiah and threw him into a pit. Do you know who are the ones who took him out of the pit? The actual invaders. Because he was telling the truth, and when the invaders, Babylon, came, they said, are you the prophet that was warning everybody about us coming and kicking your country's butt? And he's like, yeah, that was me. He's like, man, the least we can do is get you out of here because you were telling them the truth. We were planning this for a long time. See, they had to trust God for what they were going through. I don't mean to make light of your problems, but can I compare it to your children going to slavery? Can I just do that for a few moments to help you understand the context here? Can I compare it to mothers eating children? Rape? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably with Daniel being castrated. Come on, men. <laughs> what are your problems compared to being castrated? <laughs> I know they feel a lot worse sometimes emotionally, but let's put things in perspective. Our God is not promising us this year a yellow brick road through life. 
please do not put up on Facebook this year something that makes my God look bad because you don't understand this. Please do not teach your children a superstitious God that makes you think when you do these certain things, you'll have better luck this year. Please don't teach them that because we'll have to reteach them as miserable things happen in life and they're going to try to figure out what did I do wrong to deserve this. Now, here's what's interesting about this story, and we need to keep it in mind, is that a lot of this, of what is going to happen, is actually God's punishment. The nation coming to invade them has been foretold for many years because they have not been obedient. So there is thing, there are things that happen in our lives that we're not necessarily responsible for, but we're responsible in how we respond. It's not our fault that they're happening, like the recession. Was the recession anybody's fault here? Were you a big banker? Were you messing around with the numbers? No, but you had to go through it, correct? But then there are other things in the story that we cannot miss, that punishment is happening because governmental leaders, because people people in authority, the religious folk were neglecting the things of God. And God is saying to them, you'll no longer have my protection. You're also going to suffer an invasion now. So as I've said before, and I've asked you to think about this, look at your life, look at the things that are troubling you the most with an honest heart through the scriptures, not superstition. Would you be honest and look at your life before you start 2019 and ask yourself, am I suffering for things now because I haven't listened to God? Are you in a relationship with somebody right now that's terrible for you because you haven't listened to God about breaking up? It gets quiet when I preach like that, but that means it's good. It means you're thinking, right? Nancy, first thing she did after getting saved as a young lady at youth convention, broke up with her boyfriend when she got back. If he wanted Jesus, she could, he could do the same thing she did. By him not wanting Jesus, she, he, he showed her that that's not, that's not the one for her. If they're the right one for you, they'll serve God with you. If not, listen to me. The heartbreak you go through now, the few weeks of heartbreak is worth it because it will be better than, ha than to have a lifetime of misery being married to somebody that doesn't love Jesus and doesn't want the best for you. I've done too many weddings that have seen divorces to tell you how that ends. Just rushing into it doesn't make the problems go away, people. And then we look at the other areas of our life, and we need to be honest with ourselves. Are we suffering financially, not because we don't make enough money, but because we spend too much? And then now we spend too much, and we blame God for the tithe. It, it reminds me of the story of back in the day when you could buy stuff with a nickel. This one young boy was spending the summer with his grandma out in the country, and the grandma was sick and couldn't go to church, so she gave the little grandson two nickels. This one was safe to walk to church by yourself. They would always go to church and get ice cream afterwards, and she said, I'm sick, I can't go. Here's two nickels. One is for your ice cream, and the other one is for you to give to God when you get to church. And just like any old kid, when they have money in their hands, they're playing with it. So he's, pl he's playing with this money and fidgeting with it as he's walking, and he happens to walk over a bridge, and as he's fidgeting, he drops it. One of the nickels, and the nickels bounces down and goes into the river. And then he looks over, and he goes, oh, too bad for God's nickel. You see, in his mind, I know it's an old-time joke, okay? You don't have to laugh. It's a, more of an example than a joke, but some of you like it, right? Because what do we do? We lose the nickel, and we say, that's God's nickel then. I still got my nickel for ice cream. I still got my nickel for Christmas and video games and a new car, and I got all of these things. And man, that pastor in that church asking me for money, asking me for money. Well, where's your other nickel? What have you done with it? 
We blame God for those things, don't we? The most blessed people I've ever known in life have been givers. The most blessed people I've ever known in life have been givers. They have never missed that 10% because God has always blessed them with more than that 10% could ever give them. Let's just talk about the most blessed people I know have blessed marriages. They saved that 10% off of a divorce. Hello? Divorces aren't cheap, people. Save the money off counseling. Blessed people that I know. Not saying everybody uh, never goes to counseling, but most blessed people I know never have to go to counseling. They get counsel. Get counsel, but you know what I mean by counseling, right? Because the life, their life is going too fast, they're stressed, and that's okay if you need it. But I'm saying most people that I know following God's word don't have to go pay $150 six, six seven times to go get counseling. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. He's bringing them all back. When did that happen? Well, after the nation was invaded by Babylon 70 years later in Daniel's generation, they came back and rebuilt the temple, but it wasn't a full restoration. That's why when Jesus comes and says, I have come for the lost tribes of Israel, what he was talking about is regathering of Israel. This is actually a future prophecy talking about the end times when all God's people, including us, because remember, we're included with them. We don't become Jews. We just become engrafted in with the Jews. The Jewish people are the natural olive branch, according to Romans 11. We come in as a wild olive branch, but we're grafted in. We never become a Jew by genetics. We become God's people by Jesus. Are you listening to me? So come on, somebody say amen. So the Jews are still the Jews, but we get engrafted in with them. So whenever you hear promises about uh, to them and about them, you're there with them, but you're not them. They are still who they are, but you are as a Gentile, as we've learned in our Ephesians series, included with them. Can I hear an amen? Amen. For example, I'm not my wife, but what my wife gets, I get. Amen. She's not me, but what I get, she gets. We're two separate persons, but we still get what each other gets. Israel and all the nations are still separate groups of people, but we get what they get because Jesus brought us in. It says in verse 8, lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. What does he mean by they have eyes, but they don't see? They have ears, but they're deaf. It means they're prideful. They don't want to see. They could, they could see if they wanted to, but they don't. They have ears, but they don't want to hear. Do you guys remember hearing that in the life of Jesus? Jesus actually brought up that rebuke of Isaiah many times to the Jewish people. You have eyes, but you're not seeing what I'm doing. You're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not really listening. Any parents like that? Got to say that to their kids. Do you not see what I'm doing? Do you not hear what I'm doing? Why? Because they're learning. They're rebellious. They're not paying attention or something like that. Here's the deal. Apply it to you spiritually right now. Are you listening to what God is saying? Or is it just going in one ear and out the other? Because the Bible says this, if you hear these words of mine, Jesus said, and you do it, you're a wise man. You obey it. You're like a wise man building your house upon the rock. You hear these words, but you don't put them into practice. You're like a foolish person building your house on sand. Notice both of them were in church. Both of them heard Jesus. But what was the distinction? Following and being obedient to Jesus. He's saying these people have eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear. Now look what he says to them. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right so that others may hear and say it is true. God literally puts all the other gods on blast and says, which one of you guys can tell the future like I can? 
And this is where I'm going to show you some goodies in Isaiah, but let me just build this up for a second. There is no other book in the entire world that tells the future like this Bible. I sat down with two Mormon missionaries. They came over Christmas Eve. I, I, this is how I knew it was going to be a good, a good door knock. The doorbell rings. My kids run over. Oh, and then they get all quiet. So now I know it's a stranger, right? So I hear them get all quiet. And then this is all of a sudden, this is all I hear is mommy says, get daddy. The moment I heard them, my, my wife say, get daddy, I was like, oh, yeah, well, boy, Christmas came early. <laughs> and I'm like, who is it, the J-dubs or the Mormons? And it was two Mormon girls on Christmas Eve. And I said, I've been waiting for you. Come on into my office. We got them drinks and little nuts and little things there and put in front of them. And for the next two hours, I showed them over and over and over again in love because I love them and they felt love that their prophet was a false prophet. I showed them false prophecy after false prophecy. And they said, oh, we didn't, we didn't know about that one. I said, yeah, it's there. Well, no one ever told us. I go, yeah, because they're trying to keep these things from you. You can look it up. I gave them the links. You can look it up. This is really what he said. This is really what they did. And then, and then I said, let's just imagine. I know right now you don't believe me, even though I'm showing you on actual Mormon websites, a false prophecy. One of the first that I always pick out is that Joseph Smith said that the Civil War was going to turn into a world war, and then Jesus would come back. He uses such clear language. All the nations will be at war. You know, all nations, it's all there. And I showed them, did the Civil War become a world war, and did Jesus come back? And like, no. Okay, so I say to them, I get it, you want to go back and study, you want to go back and look at it, but let me just ask you this. If what I am saying as I'm reading black and white is true, Joseph Smith claims civil war turns into a world war, Jesus comes. If that is true and this has not come to pass, what is Joseph Smith? And they had to say a false prophet, a liar. And I said, it's pretty serious, isn't it? Show me one of these that hasn't come to pass or isn't set up to come to pass. Every single one of these is set up to come to pass. It's not like the Civil War where it's already over and it's like we're trying to make it up. No, 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 there's things being set up. Like just for example, in Revelation, it says when two witnesses come to preach the gospel, the whole world will see them get martyred and then they will give each other gifts because they'll be so happy that two prophets died because they were preaching as I'm preaching right now. Let me ask you something. How in the world could you see the world in whatever that was, 70 A.D.? at one time, and everybody know people died. How could people in, in India know that people died in Jerusalem? But now in this generation, what do we call that? Internet, satellite, done. Another thing, yeah, come on, pay attention. Another thing, the Bible says when the mark of the beast comes, it's represented 666, but I don't think it will be actually 666. It's going to be a representation of that, some type of mathematical equation, something deep probably with the Fibonacci code or something, you know, conspiratorial. But watch, when the, when the chip or the mark comes, the Bible said in 70 AD, you will not be able to buy things, nor will you be able to sell things unless you have that mark. How many thousands of years had to pass by before that became a reality? Do you know one of the things I do for fun right now? I trade cryptocurrency. I am trading the very thing the beast, the Antichrist, is going to use. Because, my friends, cryptocurrency is not based on any value of dollar or gold or anything. And now imagine, just imagine... Right now, today, Chicago says, we have switched over to cryptocurrency. Dollar bills and gold and silver are no longer valuable. How are you and I now going to go get food? You say, well, I'm just going to run out over here and go start a farm somewhere. How are you going to buy the farm? You can't buy the farm. Well, I'm going to go hide out in the woods. Drones? 
and you're going to start a farm and be on notice. All farmland is owned by somebody, either the state or individuals. Are you listening? Right now, they make currency digital. Tens and tens and tens and tens of millions of people will starve or die. Just like that. And the Bible said that would happen. How was that even a possibility in their time? And yet it's supposed to happen. Can I show you some prophecies that have already came to pass? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 9. God says, hey, bring out your witnesses. Let's see if you can do what I do. I love how God gets sassy like that. How many love sassy God? Amen. And that's not a disrespect. I'm, never, I'm always very conscious of how I talk about God. I don't even do OMG. OMG. I ask that you don't do either because I just think that's a little bit disrespectful. Just do O-M-G-O-S-S, O-S-H, oh my gosh, or something because I honor that name. But listen, God gets sassy. God gets confrontational. And he says, can you do what I do? Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hello, somebody. Oh, do you want to see where he's going to be born? You want to see where he's going to be born? Go to Micah chapter 5, a minor prophet. Let's go to the minor prophets. Minor in portion, not minor in importance. The theologians, we look at minor and major prophets in the Bible because major ones have big chapters and the minor ones just have a few. Micah's one of those real small ones where my big fingers can't really find it very well. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is about 400 plus years before Jesus. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. How many like to do the Bible like this? This is what I call working the word. How many like to work the word? Holy Ghost aerobics, amen? Work that word. Come on, get in spiritual shape. Go to Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 8, uh, verse 6 rather. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, this is the author here, Matthew, the apostle, writing about Jesus, and he goes, excuse me, guys, it says here, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Fulfilled prophecy right there, Boom. Now, some people say, oh, they just went back to the Bible and made up stuff. Do you know that we have found manuscripts that predate the disciples that say exactly what this says here? That means the disciples couldn't have changed it. Some people say, follow with me. Some people say, well, the disciples wanted to start a new religion. So what they did is they went back to the Old Testament, my brother, and they put in Bethlehem in Micah to make it look good for them. We have found manuscripts that predate the disciples by hundreds of years. We didn't find them till the 1950s. Look up Dead Sea Scrolls. The book of Isaiah is in there, and it's exactly the one we now have today. The Bible hasn't been changed. People have tried. People have tried to do it, just like they try to do everything else. But this Bible has been preserved as well as the prophecies. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. What kind of death is he going to suffer? Let's see. There's 100 different ways to die. Did anybody ever see that show, A Thousand Ways to Die? Somehow it always came on at night and scared me, you know? I'd be chilling watching TV in a thousand ways to die. Somebody gets killed at the amusement park. Oh, no, not the amusement park. And then somebody gets killed like making toast or something. It's a scary little show. It's like the most random ways you can die. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A few of you, a thousand ways to die. Stay away from that show if you don't want to think about death. 
Isaiah 53, though, says how he's going to die. Let's go to verse 4. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What? could that possibly mean other than Jesus? Who else, single, as a single person, singularly, singularly, <laughs> singularly, how do you say that word? Yes, that way. I'll embarrass myself if I try it again. If you go slow, singularly, <laughs> this is where I get caught in a loop. How do you say it? Singular, but I need an L-Y at the end. Singularly, singularly. Nancy, come. Oh, you're feeding the baby. Singularly. <laughs> Singularly. Singularly. Boom. You guys taught your pastor something. Just human like everybody else. And if you ever forget, watch me pronounce words. How in the world? What one person, what one person in all of human history has ever claimed, when I die, it's for your sins? What person in human history had the birthplace predicted the city where he would be uh, uh, born and then how he would die? There is no book like this book. Please, I beg you. I really beg you. I mean this. I plead this with you. Do not be confused by what you see on TV or in college classes like somehow all religions are the same. They are not even close. Not even close. Going back now to Isaiah 53. Was that a good detour? Uh, 43, rather. Was that a good detour? Amen. So God says in Isaiah 43, verse 9, he says, Which of their gods can do this, can proclaim something that has already happened and show it was true, that it was spoken? Let them bring in their witnesses. Let them prove it. Now look at verses 10 and onward. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? Quick little side note because I love teaching the Bible. Jehovah Witnesses use this as their scripture. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. If you take the word Lord into the Hebrew, it means Yahweh. The Germans called it Jehovah. The Jehovah Witnesses use the German rendition of the word Yahweh in Hebrew. That's why they call themselves Jehovah Witnesses. This is their scripture. We are Jehovah's Witnesses. That's where they get it. But do you know the very scripture they use to show their organization prove, disproves their organization? If you talk to a Jehovah Witness, ask them this. Is Jesus a God? Is Jesus not the God? Ask them, but is Jesus a God? They'll say, yes, Jesus is a God. 
He's a lower form of God. But he is, then you ask them, but is he the Father God? Is he the Father God? They'll say, no, he is not the Father God. Father God created him as a lower God. Therefore, you ask them, how many gods now are there? There are two. The great everlasting God who creates as a son a smaller God. What does this very passage teach them where it shows them they are witnesses? Bring them to their favorite passage. Say, hey, can you show me that passage in Isaiah 43? It talks about you guys being Jehovah Witnesses. Cool. Let me ask you this question. If God says he's God in verse 10 and that no God was formed before him or after, how did Jesus get formed as a God? There is no God before our God. So Mormons believe there's always a God of a God of a God of a God. So when you, when you have somebody ask you the question, well, who created God then? The Mormons say another God created God, and they believe it goes on for infinity. That's just as much as a contradiction as people who believe in an evolutionary mindset that the Big Bang came from another Big Bang of a multiverse that had another Big Bang, and it keeps going on. You cannot have an infinite regression of things in the past. There must be a starting point. They have that same fallacy. But listen to me. All of these different religions have different gods, and the Bible is very clear. There is no God before our God, nor will he ever make another God, period, period. And then he says the attributes of our God. He is from ancient times, and he is our Savior. He is our Savior. He is the one that saves. What does Jesus' name mean? Does anybody know? Jesus or the Lord saves. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Remember, we learned in Micah chapter 5, he's the one that's from ancient times. Jesus is the one born in Bethlehem that's from old, from ancient times. That's Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Now go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and listen to what you shall call him. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, you will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. How many saviors are there according to Isaiah 43? One. How many gods are there according to Isaiah 43? How many are from of ancient times according to Isaiah 43? So if Jesus is the ancient one born in Bethlehem, if Jesus is God and forgiving and doing only things that God can do, and then if Jesus is the Savior taking away sins, what does that make Jesus in his attributes? He is God, but is he God the Father? No, so we help all the false religions. We teach them very simply. There are three divine persons who share the one name of our God. That's why we baptize in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not three names. It doesn't say baptize in the names. It says baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit. So who bear the name of Jehovah? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Who is Jehovah? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen? So now you have some goodies right there. And the Bible says in verse 13, he says, I'm from ancient days. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. So once again, making it applicable to our lives, make sure you have God on your side. Amen? Verse 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians. This is what he's saying, 150 plus years, I'm going to take those guys down. In the ships in which they took pride, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. How many kings are there? And what is Jesus called in the book of Revelation? The king of kings. Come on, that's who's speaking here. The Father has always spoke through the Son. 
The son is the one who visited us. Jesus is the one walking with Abraham in Genesis 18. I love showing you those things in the prophecies, by the way. Let me kind of show you one more real quick. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. I didn't get a chance to read it all. But I just want to show you this, Isaiah 9. And then we'll get to the actual message. Somebody say, this is just the introduction. Because I got the message in verse 18, amen. I just get so excited reading the Bible, man. Go back to that Isaiah 9 passage. For to us, a son is, uh, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. What is he called, though? Wonderful what? Counselor what? Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is only one argument that I see confused as Christians all the time, and they're ones who look almost just like us. It's like whenever you watch superhero movies, and it's the one who's like the clone of the good guy, and then they fight each other, and it's like, oh my goodness, who's going to win? Because they have the same powers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like bad Spider-Man, bad Superman, or whatever. It's like a clone in that comic book. Did I lose everybody? Are you still, still with me? Okay. The clone of us are called the Oneness Pentecostals. They left us around the 1900s and started teaching that Jesus is the Father and the Holy Spirit. That in the Old Testament, he's known as the Father, he comes in the flesh, he's known as Jesus, and now he's the Holy Spirit. And so when it says the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they go, that's the name of Jesus. Because in the book of Acts, it says they baptized in the name of Jesus. And then they come to a scripture like this, and they say every one of these attributes is in Jesus, the child born. He's mighty God, wonderful counselor is the name of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, and everlasting Father. So there you see Prince of Peace, the Son, the everlasting Father as the Father, Counselor as the Holy Spirit. And then they'll say, prove to me otherwise. And so then what you must do is show them that Jesus is not the Father, though he's given the same respect and honor as the Father. So for example, I am a father to my children, but I am not Jim Wyrostic, my father. Do you understand? I can be a father to these children and not be my father. How is Jesus a father to us but not God the Father? Jesus is a father to us because he makes us new creations and we're born again in his image to live like him. But we are not the person or he is not the person of the Father. How is he like the Holy Spirit, a counselor? He is like the Holy Spirit because he gives counsel. I give counsel, Dr. Phil gives counsel. Does that mean I'm Dr. Phil? No, Jesus gives counsel, the Holy Spirit gives counsel, but does that mean Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same person? No, and I'll show you that really quick. Go to John chapter 14, and now you can just show them and say to the oneness Pentecostal, you're wrong. These three persons, uh, these three uh, manifestations that they call them as manifestations are actually persons. And what that means is they have their own intellect and their own will. Go to John chapter 14 and Jesus breaks it down great and, and beautifully. And if you don't have time to go to remember that, just remember the baptism. Father speaking from heaven, Jesus in the water, dove coming down as the form of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not doing ventriloquism from heaven and then shape-shifting into a dove. Do you get it? There's the three persons. Father speaking from heaven. Jesus is in the tank. Here comes the dove. How many get it? There's the manifesta- uh, the, the three persons. Uh, more than just manifesting, they're actually being three persons. Look at John chapter 14, verse 15. You'll notice three people here. Look at John 14, 15. If you love me, who is the me there? Jesus. If you love me... Keep my commands. So good verse to always remember, but this helps you with oneness Pentecostals or anybody who denies the Trinity. 
If you love me, keep my commands. And I, who is I? Jesus will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And this is in case you didn't think it was, thought it was an it or something. It says the world cannot accept him because it has neither seen him nor know him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before the world, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me. If Jesus is in the Father, does that mean him and the Father are the same person? No, because if you're in Jesus, does that mean you and Jesus are the same person? No. It says, I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize I'm in the Father, you are in me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now watch, here it goes again. The one who loves me, who's the me? Jesus will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show them to myself. Father, Son, and what? Holy Spirit. Did you see it right there? Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Go back to Isaiah chapter 43. So many wonderful nuggies right here. So the Lord is going to punish the, Babylon, the Babylonian people, and God will punish whoever messes with us now. As we suffer persecution in this world, those people who do that will suffer punishment. Verse 16, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. What are the people on the day of judgment like, God, uh, like to God? They are literally like a wick that he extinguishes. What did we learn last week that the wicked are like? Like the dust he sweeps out. How many of you want to be wicked? <laughs> Do you notice how the Bible talks about the wicked in judgment? Jesus used the same language. It's like the chaff getting blown away. It's like the weeds getting burned up in the fire. It's like the unfruitful branch of John 15 getting cast into the fire. And so the Bible is consistent all throughout. Do not be the wicked. The wicked will have no might against our God. And the reference here is most likely to how God destroyed the entire Egyptian army with Pharaoh, like with Pharaoh just in moments in the Red Sea. That's what he'll do when he comes back. Now look at your neighbor and say, get ready for the message. Here it is. Vinny, come please. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals, animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen people, the ones I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. How many want to proclaim God's praise this year? Amen. Well, guess what? Here's how you do it. You go through your troubles with Jesus. You don't wait for the, the smooth road. You go in hard right now. You don't, you don't turn your back because things get hard. When things get hard, you actually forget how hard they are by praising your God and how good he is. I've heard so many people say, 
Well, what am I supposed to do? Just get over it and think that they have somehow gotten over this command of God, that this is too simple, that there must be something more complex to having a happy and fulfilled life in times of problems. Like you got to do all of these steps and all of these things, and if you don't do this and don't do that, then your world's going to fall apart. And, and, and I tell them, praise God. So stop what you're doing. Praise God. And they don't believe it. Now I want to ask you a question. In your most difficult situations that you've already faced, did any of your worrying ever change it? Isn't that the the thing God told us to think about, right? Can your worrying change it? No. Did your complaining change it? But how many of you in your prayer life with God were changed? Situation maybe didn't change, but you in your prayer life and coming to church, you were changed. You felt the peace of God come over you. You went through it. Yes, terrible situation, but you went through it praising God. So let me ask you something. How many are going to go into the new year praising God? Because it's your choice right now. You can praise God or you can hold on to all your problems. You can praise God or you can hold on to an expectation of what you think this year is supposed to be. And when it doesn't work out, then you'll give yourself an excuse to quit. Well, I was supposed to lose 20 pounds by January. Didn't happen. Might as well just go back to eating like I normally do. Oh, I was going to go to life group, but then you know what? My boss started calling me in for more hours. Well, I guess it's just not meant for me then. I was going to start giving the tithe, but all of a sudden my wife's car broke down. Now we got to take out car payments. I was going to break that habit, but you know what? It's not that bad after all. Not as bad as others. See, that's your past. And what God is saying to you, if you could just scroll up a little bit, please, to verse 18, what he's saying to you is, forget those things. Forget them. Leave them behind. I'll just give you a simple example. It's not profound, but God taught me this. When I was 18 years old, and he's been faithful to keep it working like this all 20-plus years of my salvation. Here it was. I was smoking and couldn't quit been Christian for about three months, was addicted, did it because of my nerves, pleasure, whatever reason, you know, you could probably think of. And I got fed up with this going back and forth, I'm quitting and I can't quit. So I went to the Lord and I said, there's got to be an answer here that I don't understand, that, that I'm missing. There's something here that I'm missing. And God told me this in the most simplest way. He said, if you don't pick it up, touch a cigarette, I'll take away the addiction. Do you trust me? You don't touch it, I'll take away the addiction. And I said, oh, it's got to be harder than that. I mean, come on. All I do is don't touch it and you'll take away the addiction? God was like, yep. It's been 20 plus years since I've ever smoked a cigarette. What happened when I didn't touch it? I made my choice. What happened inside my heart? God kept his promise. And the addiction broke. And I've seen God literally do it every single time. You might say, well, Joe, were you tempted afterward? I mean, it didn't just magically go away, the desire. No, the the desire didn't magically go away, but I just decided I'm going to forget about it. That's my choice. 
And I'm so tired of seeing people on Facebook make fun of Christianity this way. You'll see these kind of memes, they come up. It'll say, I've got a lot of problems and somebody said, just pray about it. I did and it still didn't work. Or somebody said, trust God. And I said, I have to get a job. You know, they mock us. But they have no idea the power that is in this. The power of trusting God with your life. It's this simple. It's, I'm going to give it to you one last time, and then I'm going to end with a couple New Year's resolution type stuff to encourage you, and you're going to write some down. But just track with me here. It's this simple. You don't want to smoke cigarettes anymore if you're addicted to vaping or whatever. Here, here's God's answer. Forget about it and praise me. You don't want to look at pornography anymore. Don't want to be addicted to sexual perversion. Forget about it. Trust me, I'm doing a new thing in your life now. You don't want to deal with depression, low self-esteem. Forget about it. Well, I can't. I don't know how. Yes, you do. You know how to forget about church all the time. Do it like that. Do it like that. You forget to read your Bible all the time. Forget your worrying thoughts like you used to forget reading the Bible the last year. Yeah, you know how to forget about all kinds of stuff. Forget about those issues. And you trust God to do a new thing. We can no more do God's new thing than we could make ourselves to be a thing. I'm going to say it like this. We can no more change ourselves than we could make ourselves. Put that on Facebook, please. Your New Year's resolution doesn't count for anything. You'll do a little thing here, a little thing. Well, we saved more, we did more. That is so little. You know what it's like, Nayusha? You know what it's like? It's like you saying, I'm going to build a house with sand at the beach. Every time you put up a little grain of sand, you're like, oh, look, I'm saving. I'm getting a job. What happens when that wave comes? You can't stop the wrath of God. Your bank account is not going to stop the wrath of God. All of these things we're doing in this world for these 70, 80 years are not stopping the tidal wave of God coming. You know what it's like doing? It's like counting your money as you're skydiving without a parachute. Well, I've got 100, I've got 200, I've got 300. Well, look at the ring, look at the gold, look at all this. You're falling to your destruction. Yeah, you're counting money while you're falling. Well, I haven't fallen yet. Imagine talking to the skydiver without the parachute. You're going to die. Well, I haven't died yet. You will die soon. Well, it doesn't look like it's happening now. You talk to the sinner now. They have eyes, but they don't see. Ears, but they don't hear. It's going to happen. Judgment is coming. But I don't see it now. I'm looking like I'm doing fine now. The ground is coming. The wrath is coming. And the, those who are made new, and I tried to explain this in the second, uh, first service, so I want you to get it. Those who are made new, get the new. So you don't get the new things, the little things in life, the car, the job, the family, this and that, you know, all these things we care about, unless you get the first thing made new, which is your soul. You're changed from the inside out, amen? Would you take out a pen or a paper, something to write down with or your own phone? I want you to write down five things you want to believe God to change this year. Five things you're going to forget about and go forward to see the new thing. Because if you can perceive it, believe it, you can receive it. Hope you all putting these nuggies on Facebook or son. Could you put that up for me? If you can perceive it and believe it, you can receive it. Believe, perceive, and receive. There's some lyrics for a song too. 
I gave five things in the first service. You can go back and listen to it online. Just scroll to the end. You know the time there. I'm going to give you some new things here. Here's five things. You feel free to write down while you're, you know, while I'm talking here. Here's five things that I'm going to do uh, this year and believe God for. Number one, I am going to stop being so concerned about the results and be more concerned with my discipline. I have underestimated what God can do in five years, and I've overestimated what I can do in a year. And I get discouraged when a year doesn't, a year passes and it doesn't happen, but God is saying, I'm on a different time scale. Stay disciplined. Stay, stay in the game. So what I'm learning is to be faithful and let God take care of being fruitful. That's one thing I need to focus on. The other thing is, is I need to control my emotions. As a pastor and a father of six, I am continually being pulled in different areas of my emotions. Think about the world I live in just for a second. I can go from a beautiful Sunday like this to talking to somebody at the end of a service and they're saying, my divorce finalizes next week. Well, you know what that does to somebody like me? It's like, man, it's like, man, I'm sorry you're going through that. I love you, man. Was there, any, was there anything else we could have done for you? How did this happen? So I'm pulled into that. But then I got to go home and have ice cream with my kids. I don't know about you. These may not all apply to you. I'm just giving you space to write yours, but also encouraging you to learn from me as I'm growing in this. I want to control my emotions. I want to care when it's time to care, but I don't want to be overly concerned about things that aren't my monkeys, not my circus. And I want to know the difference between compassion and ignoring. I can't look at the news on Facebook all the time because I still want to care when I look at the news. How many of you are just over flooded with news and now you, it just it doesn't bother you like it used to? I guard myself from being desensitized all the time. So uh, number one, I want to learn to be more disciplined, be more faithful, and let God make me fruitful. Number two, I want to stop letting my emotions go wherever they want. Number three, I want to eat and sleep better. I want to make sure my eating and my sleeping is right. My goal is to stay healthy so I can live longer for Jesus. You got to come up with things that make sense for you. This is not a dietary class, but you guys get the point, right? Always good to put those in for the next year. Uh, here's, here's the fourth thing for me, is I want to spend my time, and I said this in the first, so I think it's a good, good to repeat. I want to spend my time with people that help me, not hurt me. And sometimes people who are not helping are hurting because they're wasting the time you could give to somebody else. And please hear me on this. I love every one of you here. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people in the first service, okay? No, I'm kidding. Um, listen, you can't be there for everybody, but you can be there for somebody. I want to learn how to pick the right somebodies. I just, I want to. And then the last thing is, is I don't want to burn out. I want to burn up. Written 20 books, getting my doctorate. Do you know how easy it is for me now just to get bored again? I've written a book, I've studied, I've preached. I don't want that. I don't want the same old, same old. Man, I want to be excited. Maybe your job is like that. You know, you can get bored really easy if you're not careful. Stay excited about your life. God taught me about this with my children. You know, if I lose the excitement about teaching them to ride a bike because I've already done it four times before then because I've got six kids, that's not their fault. I should be as excited about Zoe, my fourth, learning to ride her bike as I was about my firstborn, Bethany, instead of just kicking Zoe along going, come on, we're all trying to ride now. Why aren't you getting this? You should have gotten this sooner. There's already three of us down the road now. 
And listen to me, listen. Your customer doesn't deserve the 10 years of frustration you had with your boss. Come on. Just because you've had 10 years of frustration doesn't mean you take it out now on the customer. Just because you haven't liked what you've done doesn't mean you have to stay there. You're not, nobody's making you go there tomorrow. Find what you love or the best thing closest to it. Let's be dedicated to it and then be faithful. And as we go back through these scriptures, and I hope you do this year, or at the end of the year, at least to prepare for the year, go back over Isaiah 43 and say, this feels like fire, this feels like water, but you know what? God's brought me through. I've gone through some stuff, and you know what? He'll get me through it now. And then I believe when we show up next week and the week afterwards, we'll have some real testimonies. I'm not expecting you to say, oh, I did this and every problem went away. What I'm expecting to hear is that you come back to me and you say, I did it and I see it working. And the, the old things I'm forgetting and the new things are coming. How long did it take? Watch this. Quickly in closing. Quickly in closing. Get this. How long did it take for me to be a non-smoker? See, that line is hard to distinguish was it the day I decided or was it six months later when I never desired anymore because God took the addiction? When was it? I can't point to that point. I can't point to one day and say, I never desired smoking again and now I'm a non-smoker because for those few weeks, those few months, it felt like I was a smoker being deprived of smoking. But God was taking the addiction. Let me ask you a question. When do you become wealthy? When do you become happy in your marriage? When do your children become the apple of your eye? There are things in life that are gradients. They're not black, then white. Bad kid, then good kid. Bad marriage, then good marriage. Poor, then rich. Most of us don't live with Hail Mary 50-yard passes to the touchdown end zone. Most of us live by first downs. You make a first down, you go 10 yards. You make a first down, you go 10 yards. Another example, most of us don't kick the soccer ball from one end all the way into the goal. We dribble it down, and we fight through the opposing. Most of us don't hit home runs. We hit base hits. But you get a base hit on another base hit, you get the point. That's what 2019 will be like for those of us who are with God. And then we will all say We've achieved things we never thought were possible because God did it. When we were faithful, he made us fruitful. Before you know it, you started here. Come on, I want some young people. I want, I want Arnold. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute, Arnold, but I want you specifically to hear this, and especially the young people. Some of you are starting right now this year in your Christian walk. You are starting at the five-yard line, on your own five-yard line. That means you have 95 more yards to go. And if you think to yourself, well, I'm going to do all 95 yards in, in 30 days because my Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you're going to lose your energy around the 20-yard line getting pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and pummeled by the enemy, and then you're going to think something's wrong with God. But listen to me, Arnold. If you start at the five-yard line and you get the ball, you run behind your blockers, you make five-yard progress. You thank God for it. You get sacked, you get back up, 
You thank God for it. Not the problem itself, but for God being with you in the midst of your problems. And you do it, and you do it, and before you know it, you're at that place called there. Because when you were here, you wanted there. When I'm over there, 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 I'll be so happy, happy, happy. When I'm over there, I'm married, and my kids serve Jesus, and I got money, but over here, man, this is terrible. Oh, I just wish I was over there. And what God is saying is, I'm with you here, and then I'm with you here. And then I'm with you here, and I'm with you here. Here and there are nothing to God. God doesn't change from you being busted and disgusted to being blessed and highly favored. God's been the same the whole time. What God is asking you to do is trust Him in the fire, walk with Him through the river, be with Him in the water, and forget about the old things. I could preach it all over again. How many got it today? Did you write down those things? Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Amen. Come on. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? You guys have been an amazing congregation this year, by the way. Thank you. You're going to love all the testimonies we got. Father, we surrender these things to you.